0: But what you're doing all the way along is you're knocking out massive chunks of principal on the mortgage itself, mm-hmm. freeing up more and more liquidity that you have access to. So if you are your goal is to save twenty thousand dollars to put down on a rental property, you might actually get there really, really quickly, like within a handful of months when you're using the shred method because you have access to that down payment wow. on the line of credit in order to go then buy the next property it hopefully cash flows and allows you to shred that even faster
1: welcome to money vision you in this podcast we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom if you want to learn how to make manage and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do then you came to the right place i'm your host stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. So, you mentioned HELOCs. So, let's dive into those because I have not talked about that. I have never used one myself. And I know this is something that I'm going to be interested in, you know, because I, uh, well, before i ask questions i guess really define the he like you've talked about you know it's a two way street you can yep take money out and put money in and things like that how does that work just break
0: down a, a home equity line of credit for us yeah there there so there's a common misconception among people who go to a bank and say hey i i want to put a new roof on my house or i want to buy a trailer or what what have you and a lender will probably say well we'll give you a home equity loan And there's a big difference between a loan and a line of credit. And the Mm. the biggest difference is this, Stuart, a loan typically is going to be closed end, which means this is a five-year loan, a 10-year loan, a 30-year fixed loan. Gotcha. And that is a closed end product, meaning there is a certain amount of time. And when that time is up, that loan product ceases to exist, right? Then there is a line of credit and a line of credit is sometimes called an open-ended line of credit, meaning that there is no end date necessarily for uh, a line of credit. There may be like a 10 year, they'll say, oh, this is a 10 year line of credit, which does suggest that at the end of 10 years it ends or you'll have to start a new one. Um, But the open ended piece is that it's not as if you have to make a specific payment every single month on that. There are some lines that are set up that way, but for the most part, what you're paying is you're paying interest on whatever amount you've borrowed on your line of credit. So if you borrow a thousand dollars and it's a five percent line of credit, you're going to pay five percent on that line of credit over the course of twelve months time, right?
1: Okay.
0: Now here is the thing about the line of credit: you're only paying interest on what you use. So if you've got, let's say for simplicity's sake, you've got a hundred thousand dollar property, and you owe. $50,000 on it. So you've got 50% loan to value against the property, 50% of the value you've borrowed against okay. most lines of credit will allow you to go to 80, 85, and in some cases, 90% loan to value. Oh, wow. So if you've already borrowed 50 against your hundred thousand dollar property, you may be able to go get a $40,000 home equity line of credit from your lender. That would be a 90% LTV deal, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you've got between zero and 40,000 available to you to leverage or use however you see fit. That may be as a down payment on a rental property, 10 grand down, right. Or 20 or 30. Um, that could be, uh, that could be a certain amount put as a lump sum payment against your mortgage. Now this is where it gets kind of, it's a little mind numbing for people who aren't following you go. well, Why am I borrowing money against my house to put money against my house? You know, are you just trading one debt for another, uh-huh. but the reality is interest on a line of credit is different than interest on a mortgage. Whereas the interest on a mortgage is amortized over 30 years. Um, and it, and the interest on your line of credit is simple interest. So it's whatever your average daily balance is on that line of credit is what you're charged on a monthly basis. So here's the magic of the HELOC. Your income is going to dump into the HELOC. Mm-hmm. And if you've borrowed $10,000 to put a lump sum payment against your mortgage, but five grand comes in that month from your income, well, now you only owe five grand on that line of credit. And the amount of interest that you're paying is $5,000 times whatever the interest rate is divided by 12 months. So it's literally going to be dollars, maybe tens of dollars of interest, but you've shaved $10,000 off the balance of your mortgage. And when you do that, you're accelerating the amortization table by months and months and months. For most people that use the shred method, we might accelerate 10 or 15 payments in the first month of using shred, which for most folks, again, would save tens of thousands of dollars in interest in month one.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. Audience, I'm with you. My brain hurts too, but I I understand what you're saying. I just almost have to like see it on paper. You do, to, but I, I I understand the concept, and I I can see how basically you can use a line of credit, take advantage of that, I guess interest, um, or that or you know the credit that you have, and going then you pay off the principal, and that goes back to what we've been talking about of the more you can attack that principal, the better it is for you because you save on interest payment. You're not paying as much interest payments, and then if you have more principal yeah. pay pay down, you can always refinance and, and take that principal out as well. Yep. But with the line of credit. So you said if, in the example, if there's a hundred thousand dollar mortgage and you've paid off 50, then you could only do a line of credit for maybe call it 40,000. So yep. you couldn't use the 50,000 that you already have in principal and kind of take a line of credit out credit out from that too, to where it'd be like 90,000. You could not. Um... So you can't take a line of credit out against principal. It would have to be about, uh, from what you still owe on the mortgage, is that That's right? That's Exactly right.
0: That's exactly okay. right. Yep. So if you owed fifty grand on a property worth a hundred, technically you only have fifty thousand in equity, and you can only use on a line of credit up to forty thousand or or ninety percent of the the value of that property. Okay. So then, and again, it kind of depends on the lender too, Stuart. So it could be eighty sure. percent, could be eighty five, could be ninety or ninety five percent. And this question first before
1: I just almost strategize for myself and everyone can listen yeah. along. But uh, so the interest rate, how do they choose? Is that based off kind of where the interest rates are? You know, um, with the Fed rates right now, so yep. an interest rate on your line of credit would be higher right now than it would have been, you know, two years ago or something like it that. It
0: is. It is. It's um, typically it's going to be fed the Fed rate, federal funds rate plus, or it's prime plus. So like prime plus a half or prime plus one. Okay. Um, what we're seeing right now in the market is we'll see some introductory rates on a HELOC. So if you sign up at, at, a, at a credit union, as an example, um, the line of credit might be 2.9 or 3.9% fixed for a year. And then it's variable after that. Gotcha. So, you know, if your mortgage is at, if you've just bought a home and your mortgage is at 7% and mm-hmm. you can go get a HELOC, you know, if you put 20% down and you can go get a 10% HELOC on your property at 4% or 3%, mm-hmm i would been doing the shred method all day long for a year. And, and you then pay for of thousands of dollars.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is such an I you know, I've I've known about HELOCs, but I've never even thought about it that way. And that is so yeah. interesting. Um and and I'm trying to almost develop the questions that I have as I'm thinking about it. But first let me ask this with the do you have to go to because you mentioned going to a credit union, do you have to go yeah. to so you can go to anyone and ask for a line of credit and explore the different options. It doesn't have to be from the, um, lender that has your mortgage note. That's exactly right.
0: That's exactly right. Okay. Now to use Didn't the shred that. method really effectively, um, or most effectively, we like to, to, uh, tell folks that you're going to want to get a line of credit at the same place where your income is flowing through wherever your primary checking is. Hmm. Um, it just makes it easier if you can go into your, your, uh, banking app on your phone or on your gotcha. laptop or desktop and just go in and be transfer this amount to here, as opposed to allowing a day or two to transfer to this account back to this account. So there, there is an element of simplicity to this as well, that when you embrace it when you fully get how it works, you'll never go back to the old way because you realize just how completely inefficient it really is. Mm-hmm. And, and to give you a, I like to speak in terms of metaphors, Stuart, because I think people grasp the metaphor. Mm -hmm. But if if you were to leave your home in the morning at eight o'clock to go to the grocery store, and then you came back home knowing that you have to go to the post office, but you won't leave until three or four o'clock in the afternoon, would you leave your car idling in the driveway all day?
1: Hmm, Probably not. Why not? Well, you're just wasting money. Waste of gas.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Waste of money, waste of gas, hard on the environment, hard on the car. It's inefficient, right? Mm -hmm. Yet, what people will do with their paychecks is they'll get paid, they drop it in checking, effectively letting their money sit and idle in a checking account in their driveway, their financial driveway, and it just sits there and it idles. And, Hmm. you know, they take out a little bit here and there on their debit card when they go out to eat or they get gas or groceries or what have you. Um, But by and large, we have clients who will say i've had money sitting in my checking and savings account or money market account for days weeks months sometimes years on end all the while they're paying compound interest on a debt you know on their mm-hmm. mortgage as an example or the student loans yeah that could be eradicated really quick wow. and still have access to that money via a line of credit yeah so there's a question inherent in this around how much should i have in an emergency fund right mm-hmm. and and i think it First of all, personal finance is very personal, right? So it, it's not a one size fits all. This is the problem I have with some of the the AM radio financial experts. Is mm-hmm. you know they're saying, oh, it's six to twelve months of living expenses in the bank. Okay, well if if you're a professional who knows you can get a job in sixty days, if your mm-hmm. if your job ended, you know you could go replace your income. If you know your expenses are really low, if you know you have access to money in uh, uh, various other accounts, do you really need six to 12 months or do you need to start sort of thinking differently about how your, your finances are set up? So you don't have to have mm-hmm. $60,000 sitting in there, you know, cause you have five grand a month in expenses over 12 months for someone who has a thousand dollars in discretionary income, it'll take them five years to save up enough money just yeah. to have in their, in their emergency fund. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Not to mention inflation is eating that as it just sits idle, you know, so it's not that you're not making money. You're actually losing money because shoot me buying eggs right now is like double than it was last year or whatever it is or whatever, you know, so inflation is eating it too, but that love the example with the metaphor and you're literally just showing us how to move money around to basically pay less interest, have different loans and pay less interest uh, on these loans. and. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, having the emergency fund of six to 12 months, that's a good, that may be a good starting place for some people, but then you got to go to another level of financial literacy. You got to go beyond just trying to stay debt free because if you can use debt the right way, whether it's real estate, lines of credit, things like that, it can help and just um, speed up your financial freedom journey. And so uh, I love what you're saying. And so I I think I'm really starting to to kind of grasp these concepts too. So because you mentioned- Okay so if you have your line of credit with your local bank you can literally yep. just go be it's it's as easy as it's almost like another checking account i can swap money in and out from my personal checking account where you know say my w2 money comes in it's auto pay or auto deposited into my checking account and then i can see the other line of credit account and i can literally go pay or withdraw money from that line of credit just like that it's that easy
0: that is exactly right that's okay. exactly right. And and think about this too, Stuart, from a banking perspective, a bank, it is in their best interest to make sure that you and all of the listeners and consumers out there have as much money as possible in the bank for as long as possible, mm-hmm. right? Because when they have it on deposit, and technically deposits to a bank are considered liabilities, whereas loans are considered assets to a bank. So the more liabilities they have, the more deposits they have on hand, the more they can lend out in assets or loans. So if they have $10,000 of yours in an account, they can loan out $100,000 on your 10,000. So there's there's an incentive to, to a lending institution to take on deposits because they can offer so many more loans. But it's kind of the reverse for us. We actually want to keep less in our checking account Mm -hmm. And again, it's very personal. So I don't want to put anyone in a precarious situation. If your income is tenuous, like you're, you're afraid you might lose your job. Not always the best. This is not going to be advice that I want you to necessarily take and run with right now. Um, But there is a way to set yourself up where this can work for you. Um, It just requires, like you've said, thinking at a little bit higher level than just, oh my gosh, can I make my bills this month? Um, Because the reality is. Most people, if you're struggling to make your bills, a majority of why you're struggling is you're paying too much in interest, hmm. right? Not enough is going to principal. So your bills actually aren't reducing at all.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, and and then I got to say this too, the interest rate, even if it's at, even with the high interest rates right now, you can essentially almost treat your line of credit. I mean, it's the same thing as a credit card essentially, but a credit card's interest rate, the APR or whatever is it seems like is going to be drastically higher than what a line of credit would be if you do end up paying interest on your line okay. of credit because it could be 18, 20 plus percent on a credit card compared to your line of credit being right now, maybe seven percent or something like yep. that, which is um, what, a third of what the credit card is? Is my math right there, or do they count interest right. rates a little bit different than a line of
0: credit would? No, it's it's um, you know, we've seen credit card rates the highest. APR on a credit card typically is 25.99% and what what a lot of consumers don't know is that when you sign up for your credit card there's a universal default clause in the the verbiage of your agreement and a universal default clause says that if you default on any debt that that is applied to your credit report so that could be your mortgage student loans car loans credit cards uh if there's a collection filed like from the utility company or from a medical office, anything that reports to your credit bureau, if you miss a payment, the credit card can jack your rate up to twenty five point nine nine percent. Wow! And that's not just one; that's all of them. So, we've we've encountered clients who they'll say, "Well, I think my rate's fourteen percent," and then we dig in, and we go, "It's twenty five percent." You owe ten grand. That means two hundred dollars a month is just being lit on fire like that. Yeah, an in interest expense. Yeah. That we can recoup some of that cash flow back by using the shred method and teaching how to pay it off quickly.
1: Wow, that that's huge! Understanding the interest rate and a line of credit versus a credit card. My my next call might be might be my bank. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that is a huge difference for people under, to understand. I don't think a lot of people get credit cards necessarily intending to pay interest. They don't think no. they're going to. They think they're going to borrow money, pay it back. But then sometimes. I don't know, things get out of control or you're just trying to do little things like investment wise, you know, you're yep. paying for an education course, you're paying for this or that or a home improvement, something like that. The interest oh. is just going to be so much cheaper on a line of credit. And then so personal question for me. So if I'm uh, if I bought a house two years ago, so yep. I haven't got too much principal in a house. And let's just use the one hundred thousand dollar example. Sure. But um, so let's say, and let's say I put, uh, like 10% down. Okay. So okay. then I, so that means I have a lot more that I can actually use for a line of credit than if I had higher principal in it, because you said you can't use a line of credit against the principal. So if there's $10,000 paid in the principal and 90,000 left on the mortgage, so there's yep. a lot more possibility, or I guess a larger line of credit that I can potentially have is what you're saying.
0: You could go get, uh so if we're using this example and a and hundred thousand is what the home is worth and you have an, you put 10% down, so 90 grand is what you owe, mm-hmm. you could probably go find a line of credit for somewhere in the neighborhood of $5,000 Okay, to start out. Sure. But what will happen, Stuart, is if you use the shred method effectively within a few months, call it four or five, six months. They'll raise that they'll raise that, that uh, line of credit. So maybe you can borrow 10 grand or 15 or 20 grand, depending on how much principal you've paid down. And we may not leverage all of that at once. Like you're at five grand, you might be doing 2,500 and then it pays down and then you're doing 3,000, it pays down and then 5,000 it's paid down. But what you're doing all the way along is you're knocking out massive chunks of principal on the mortgage itself, Mm -hmm. freeing up more and more liquidity that you have access to. So if you are, your goal is to save $20,000 to put down on a rental property, you might actually get there really, really quickly, like within a handful of months when you're using the shred method, because you have access to that down payment wow. on the line of credit in order to go then buy the next property that hopefully yeah. cash flows and allows you to shred that even faster.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, this is very, very... A very neat episode. I know I'm learning a lot. I'm sure the audience has to be learning a lot because you are a true financial coach uh, with uh, what we are talking about here, because these are topics that just are not talked about a lot, let alone just the possibilities of what you can do with. I think people know more about refinance, but home equity line of credit, that's just definitely not as much talked about. And so uh, this is like AP level financial literacy uh, course 101 right here. So that is all super interesting stuff. And I, I think we've dove into those pretty good. I, I, I want to, I'm excited to get to this next kind of final topic here that, yeah. uh, because I can't go this episode without asking about your Ted talk that has 6 million views. It's gone viral now. So how did they even find you as a speaker? What did you talk about? Because it clearly had an effect for, uh, or on mis- many listeners. So I just want to talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. This is one of my favorite stories to tell Stuart, because some folks would say, I can't believe that's how you got a Ted talk. Um, you know, I think deep down, there's a lot of people who will say, Oh, I have a Ted talk. I want to deliver someday. And how would I do this? Hmm. Um, I'd been speaking for a long time and a friend of mine said, what's next for you. And I said, I think I want to do Ted, you know, I'd love to be on a Ted stage somewhere. And he said, well, here's a suggestion at the bottom of your email, put a, a double dash line and below it, just put some request that you have about doing a TED talk. And so I wrote, "It is one, it is my big dream to one day grace a TED stage. If you could help me do that, I'd be forever in your debt. And that was it. I just had it in big, bold red letters at the bottom of my signature line of my email. And I sent out, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of emails, probably over the course of a few months. And about six weeks later, I got an email from someone who had seen me present. And she said, Hey, I'm on the curation team for a TEDx event at the London business school. You were the first person I thought of. Wow. And so we had a call, uh, we, we did a little discovery about, you know, what the event was and, and some ideas around speaking topics. And I'd been kicking this idea around Stuart a little bit. Um, cause I always thought it'd be interesting to play a game of monopoly with real cash and see if it changed the way that people played the game. Hmm. Um, some of it was based on, I had been speaking on college campuses for years and I was finding that students by and large still were not making their own financial decisions. Hmm. Their parents were still making on that 18 to 22 or 23. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, by the time they were 21, 22, 23, 24, it was like their parents saying, okay, now you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were getting into serious trouble in college because they were getting a a pre-approved credit card offer at freshman or sophomore year. They were taking out extra student loans that they didn't need to buy stuff they didn't need. Um, and without any real understanding of what borrowing 60 or 80 or hundred thousand dollars actually means. And so I was playing monopoly with my kids one day and they were playing like outside of the rules of the game. And I thought, I wonder if they're playing this way because the money isn't real. They just wanted to roll the dice and move the pieces. Yeah. But what if the money were real? Would they play differently? And so I went to my credit union on a Friday and I asked for $9,990 in all the denominations of bills you'd find on a monopoly board. <laughs> and then I took that money home and Sunday we played a cash game of monopoly and it, it 100% changed the way my kids played the game. And we, from that, we learned all sorts of lessons that we use to then educate our kids about money um, and today, you know, I have three teenage kids, 15, 17, and 19 that have not asked for a dime from my wife and I for probably the last four or five years. Mm. And it's amazing. Um, you know, when you have kids who are financially savvy, they're making their own money. They're, they're smart about saving and investing and giving it's wild, uh, to watch that, you know, to, to watch them transform that way when you're just teaching simple lessons about handling cash.
1: Yeah. So what were some of the things that they maybe did differently when
0: you were playing the game with real cash? Well, here's the deal. I realized that they were super conservative with their own money, but they were super liberal with my money. Ah. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like it was easier for you to spend your parents' money than your own, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So,
1: So, okay. Yeah. Keep going.
0: Yeah. So we realized that if they were given and given is, is a loose, it probably needs to be defined. They were given allowance for chores done around the house. Mm -hmm. So if they finished the chores they had, they would get an allowance, but then the allowance money was used for all the things that we used to pay for. So if you want to go to a football game, that's on you. You want to go to a movie with friends that's on you. You want to buy a gift for someone that invited you to their birthday party. That's on you. And Mm -hmm. they had the money there to do that. But the key Learning and lesson, I think that was there was young people especially, if their parents are paying for everything, there's no concept of lack because they don't have any sense of where it begins or where it ends. Mm-hmm. But if a young person has forty dollars and they want to buy a fifty dollar item, they're kind of like, oh shoot, well I need ten more dollars. Yeah, you know. And we were of the mindset that we're not going to give it to you, and you're not going to borrow it from us because that's just <laughs> going to teach you borrowing skills how, what do you have to do? How much longer do you have to wait until you get to 50? And then what it taught was delayed gratification and they have to plan for purchases and they knew what was important and what wasn't like, are you really going to buy a bag of candy for three bucks when you're trying to save 10 for that thing you want to buy? Um, it was, it was really fascinating to watch them in their preteen years, make those decisions. And then as they got into teenage years and they were making money in part-time jobs, they were like, oh, I had $500 in savings. I want to get to a thousand. Now I want to get to 2000. Now I want to get to 4,000. They would start to just change the way they were, they were functioning. Yeah. And then as they developed and progressed, we would say, Hey, you have quite a bit in savings and checking. Why don't we move some of that to your investment account? Cause you're not going to need that anytime soon. So what mm-hmm. do you want to invest in? And then they started getting interested in the stock market and real estate investing and things like that. Um, So it was just fascinating bringing them up in a financial literacy um, intelligent home, you know, and they're learning the lessons along the way as they started to kind of climb the path to mastery.
1: Yeah, yeah. So cool. That's a great way to teach that lesson. I I don't have kids, but one day when I do, we're going to play Monopoly and we're going to go get 10,000 bucks or whatever it is and uh, do an all cash game and uh, learn some valuable lessons from that. Because I know, I mean, I, I... I haven't played Monopoly in a bit, but you know the tendency when you do Monopoly is every time you get on the property that you can buy, you go buy it, and you don't think yeah. about how much you have left. And um, do you have any like extra cash flow? Or if you land on this one rainy day where you, you got to pay a big you know rent or, yep. or whatever it is on Broadway, then uh, you know how much does that t- destroy your your uh, money that you have remaining and things like that? So uh, That's exactly I, right. I can I can definitely see how if you're playing with real money versus fake money, you're going to think about the decisions a little bit more. Uh, and I think that's a great lesson. So that was the TED talk. And so that's basically what you talked about. Uh, and it has gone viral. I'm sure you've got a lot of
0: opportunities from that. And I got to ask who who won? Did you end up winning that Monopoly game? I did not. I did not. I did my, not. my middle child, my oldest son won. Um, <laughs> he's a very strategic player, but he typically buys all the railroads, all the utilities, and then he buys Boardwalk and Park Place. And when he played Stewart, he bought uh, all the railroads, all the utilities, and then he bought Oriental and Baltic Avenue, which are right around the corner after you pass go. Yeah. And I said to him, dude, how, why did you buy those properties? And he kind of smirks. He goes, dad, they're just more affordable spaces. <laughs> and, and I'm like, God, he's getting it, you know, yep. he's figuring it out. Um, but here's the interesting thing. I, I think that we also gleaned from it. And that is that the paper Right today, the paper that is used in Monopoly for money, in our in our game board, um, it's torn and wrinkled and tattered and it's been around the block a few times, um, and and I liken that to a parent handing a child a debit card, and just saying, hey, use this wisely, or don't swipe this too much, or you need to keep track of this. There is a pleasure sensor that goes off when you swipe a debit card, because it's like, oh, I'm going to get this. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing happens when you order on Amazon, one click ship, you're in positive anticipation of getting whatever it is you just ordered. But if you have to hand over a $50 bill to someone, there's actually a pain sensor that fires in your brain, right? Where you're like, ah, this is hard. I don't necessarily want to pay for this. Um, so I wanted to get my kids in the habit of handling money. So they would make decisions based on a pain and pleasure sense, um, that was real, not this abstract version of real, which is Venmo and PayPal and yeah. Zelle and debit cards. Um, so I think that, that parents, and certainly this is why Dave Ramseyites are using cash and the envelope method yep, is yep. That it hurts to, to like have no money in your envelope.
1: Yeah. You're um, literally watching it. Leave your hands.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, so there's something to that, that if we could all, if, if any of your listeners are struggling with cash flow or how, how do I ever have enough money? I'm telling you, go all cash for a month. You'll change the way that you function Hmm. um, from a budgeting perspective because there's so much more pain involved in paying it. Like you'll probably go, I only need $40 in gas, not a full tank.
1: You know know what I mean? mean, Because I'm trying to save some of that
0: money for later.
1: Right, right. Great points. And that's a great little strategy there too, that you just pointed out that I I would definitely recommend of having things in cash, maybe the envelope system of, Hey, I got a hundred dollars for groceries. I don't know a week or whatever it is, and yep. uh, using that accordingly. And when you run out, it's gone. But also, you're watching that cash disappear from you. So now you're at the grocery store. Do I really need that? You know, things like that. And so I think these are. I, I mean, I, I said it before, but you are a true financial coach. I mean, I, I've learned a ton on this episode. What what an episode to help start twenty twenty three for uh, Money Vision. You, it's super. Informative. Any other final words of advice you want to share with the audience before we kind of close out?
0: One of the so two two things I'll share, Stuart. One is that the two greatest expenses we have in life are taxes and the interest expense on debt. Hmm. And years ago, when I learned this, I started kind of going into a deep inquiry about, well, how would I reduce my taxes? Mm -hmm. Because because it is possible, you know, if you own a business and You're using your business to write off some ordinary and necessary business expenses buy real estate, do bonus depreciation, those kinds of things. You can minimize your tax liability to the ridiculous, right? I mean, some people are at 0% tax brackets. I don't necessarily need to get there, but I, I want to keep my tax bracket relatively low. The second is the interest expense on debt and the shred method teaches people how to minimize the interest expense on debt, plain and simple. Um, so that's one is two greatest expenses, taxes and the interest expense on debt. When you figure out how to minimize both, financial freedom becomes very, very possible much sooner than otherwise. Yeah. The second thing I'll mention is that financial freedom is very, very easy. Um, I shouldn't say that. It's very simple. Right, it may right. not be easy for everyone, but it's very simple. And simply put it as this create a spread between your income and your expenses for as long as humanly possible. So the longer the spread between what you make and what you spend, if that money is used efficiently to either create more money or reduce debt, you'll be financially free in no time. Hmm. It just, it requires that you do a couple of things. You play really good offense, increase your income and you play really good defense, decrease your expenses. Yep. And if you're doing the, both of those simultaneously, most people I believe could be financially free within 10 years or less. And it it seems like a stretch, but it really isn't. It is that simple. It's just not always easy to increase your income or decrease your expenses if you don't know how to do that. And I think listening to your show and having experts come on and talk about it, that's the key. Like I would encourage listeners, keep listening to the show, come back week after week, take notes, review them. Um, But just know that this the, the pursuit of, of financial literacy is like the path to mastery. It's a, it's a mountain that has no peak. You're just going to continuously be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the longer you're on it, the easier it becomes.
1: And it's a fun climb. I'm still earlier climb. in the summit uh, of the climb, but uh, it, it's definitely a fun climb as you can almost see, you know, one, how far you've come and then the possibilities that, that are out there when you get higher up. And so I had hundred percent agree with everything you're saying that there with the, the taxes yes learn how to lower those sometimes you just need a good cpa to help with you on that but then interest is really you know you can have financial coaches like yourself but uh really you just got to educate yourself overall to learn how to take advantage of the interest payments that you might be having and to minimize those so you can have more flexibility and liquidity with your cash and then yeah it, it really is a simple concept of financial uh, freedom but it it's not necessarily easy because it it a lot of it does revolve around educating yourself and delayed gratification which, which you have mentioned so man adam this has been an awesome episode just to close out here how can people follow you uh a- anything that you want to give to our listeners for them to be kind of hands-on and and actively following you
0: yeah, thank you for that, Stuart. The the easiest way to learn more about the shred method is to go to theshredmethod.com. We've got an evergreen webinar that it's about 26 minutes or so, but it'll teach you everything you need to know about the process. You can do a savings analysis on that page. So if you do own a home and you've got some discretionary income, it'll tell you how quickly you can be out of debt. And then um, the easiest way, if you want to follow me, either adamcarroll.info is my website. Or uh, hit me up on Instagram. I'm adam.carol with two R's and two L's. And feel free to DM me there. I'm I'm pretty active on that, uh, okay. that social media channel.
1: Okay. And I'll also make sure to post that TED talk in the show notes as well. So, right on. Everyone needs to look at these in the show notes, but awesome. Well, Adam, thanks again for coming on the podcast. You've been an awesome guest.
0: Thank you, Stuart. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision You. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching you in the
0: next class.